You know, I'd like to say this isn't that bad of an episode, but it's totally going on the skip list. <laughs> so I suppose make of that what you will. What do you think of this one? It's kind of forgettable. <clears throat> it's written by Jean Arosti. Arosti. Doesn't matter. She never writes anything for Star Trek ever again. So directed by Sinensky. Not his last thing. And it also has Diana Muldaur, which I'm just going to keep saying that because whatever. Uh, it wasn't supposed to, actually. It was supposed to be Jessica Walker. What's funny is apparently someone on production said you can't have the same guest star playing different characters. Now, that's nonsense. There's actually been several examples in TOS before now of a single actor playing multiple guest star roles. So that's not it. But whoever said that basically led to her getting a wig. So if you're wondering why she suddenly has this black wig in this episode, that's why. <clears throat> Alas, this is the end for Eddie. I have no idea how to pronounce that. The guy who plays Leslie. I've actually mentioned him several times before because he's been a recurring secondary character for a while at this point. A lot of episodes he's been in. But this is his final thing. They had a stunt scene which actually was cut from the episode, so he's not even. It's not even on camera where he got injured. And working under the lights all the time gave him headaches. And he was just like, you know what, I'm out. I don't blame him. One of the reasons I spent so much work on my lighting setup is because I can't do what would actually be an ideal lighting setup, which would have a light right about there and probably one over there. I would also have one right above me and then one right a bit back. In short, at least three lights all going in my eyes at the same time. Now, you might be thinking, so... Have you ever sat in a place with lights burning into your eyes for eight hours at a time? Because that would be my life under those circumstances. So I had to come up with a lighting setup that wouldn't give me headaches, which is why we've got this setup. So also why I use the umbrellas, because the, uh, whatever it's called, the distribution of the light helps. It makes it a lot less unpleasant to deal with. Anyway, so I don't blame him, but unfortunately he is gone. That sucks. So we find out that the Medusans, really, are formless, horrible. They induce madness simply by looking at them. Oh my god, that's true. And then shortly thereafter we find out that they are formless and horrible, and they induce madness if you look at them. I feel like we've covered this before. So naturally, he ends up leaving, uh, what's his name, Marvik. Marvik goes with Scotty. Now, while that was kind of dull exposition, I like the bit of exposition that they do with Marvik, as he's leading off with Scotty, Scotty's just enthusing to meet him, and is like, ah, I can't wait to interact with one of the people who helped design the Enterprise. Just a nice little thing in there. Helps to establish him. It's cool. I'm with it. I'm with it. It also kind of helps to establish why he has any kind of connection with the lovely Miranda, played by Diana Moldar. So, the initial conflict between Spock and Pulaski is established very very quickly and very efficiently. And we can tell that there's obviously this antagonizement between the two. And then, naturally, she takes off her visor and looks at the box. So we immediately know that something's up. I will admit I didn't realize that she was blind that early on. Instead, it was more just a... okay. See, the problem is, Diana Moldauer is not playing the character like she's blind. Now, I know she can, because she does. Later on in the episode, she takes off her sensor net, and then she plays the characters if she's blind. Does a good job of it, too. So she can, but the fact that she doesn't means the reveal is kind of pointless. It doesn't 
add anything because there's nothing to pay attention to. It's not like a, aha, that explains why she's acting that way. Instead, it's more of a, oh, by the way, this entire time I was secretly, you know, AB-type blood-related. And it's like, okay, why is that significant? Well, because it means the vampires can't feed on me. That's why they haven't been feeding on me. Okay. Like, it, it's kind of an unnecessary and irrelevant reveal. Anyways, this then leads to the idic, which, for the record, I hate pronouncing it that way. They say it in this episode. I see your idic, I D I C. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm actually down for the philosophy in that. I decided to read up on the stated philosophy in that to make sure that that's a true statement. And what I found was not very conclusive. So allow me to be slightly more clear on that. I'm one of those people who really likes the idea of lots and lots of people who are different and distinct and distinguished from each other who unify into one beautiful, amazing pattern, right? Like, we are different, and that's awesome. We can be united while not being the same. You know, that whole thing. The Mass Effect thing, right? That's kind of the way I tend to lean. I'm not really sure if that's the idic thing, because, like I said, it was really unclear even in the the entry I was reading, it's like Idic is all about lack of uh, lack of racial or cultural divides, and I'm like, yeah, but then Vulcans are biased against people who can do mind melds at least until they fix that, right? That's a whole thing in Enterprise. It's an entire story arc in season four. <sighs> Spoilers. So I don't know. Either way, the, the this is the first Idic in the show. This is the first time the Vulcan emblem is actually introduced as the Idic, and God, I hate that word. And more importantly, this is the first time. No, I'm just kidding. This is more like the thirtieth time that Gene Roddenberry wanted money. Nimoy, in particular, was very against this, but he was not alone. A decent number of the cast objected to the rewriting of the, the dinner scene, which put a lot of emphasis on the IDIC thing and trying to make it like, hey, so he could sell it at uh, a specific, I think it was the London one. They actually mentioned the specific comic uh, con he was going to in order to try and sell these things. I'm down with advertising and marketing. I am, but really? <laughs> Come on. Unfortunately, I don't know the truth. I don't know if this thing was designed to be an emblem for an awesome ideology that then was marketed, or if something was designed to make money, which they then came up with an in-universe in -universe reason for. And that, that is a fine line in between those two things. There's also conflicting information on who actually designed the logo originally, and several people disagree on that. So this is all just kind of a big gray morass. I'm just going to leave that one alone, move on from that, and get on with... The rest of the episode. One of the things that irritates me about this script in the dialogue is there's a lot of overemphasis on the beauty. You're so beautiful, a woman, and you're so young and beautiful, and your beauty is beautying because your beauty beauties all that beautifies around you beautifully. Oh, I am overwhelmed by the beauty that you beautify with beautifully. And I, I just, I, I get very sick of it by about the halfway point of the episode. I get it. It's Diana Moldor. She's hot. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, did you see that woman in, like, the, the 80s and 90s? Because she was still hot. I get it. Shut up about it. <laughs> you don't need to ram it in the ground. Although, I'm sure you can make a sex joke out of that if you really felt like it. 
But no, they just hammer the... It, it's worth noting, again, it wasn't supposed to be her. It was supposed to be Jessica Walker, who I have no idea who that is um, in context. I, I should have looked that up. Anyway, so Kirk is just throwing himself at her. I remind you, it's been four episodes since he just he, he just had the Inner Light episode where he got married to a woman and was married with her for two months and had a, almost had a child with her. Just wanted to point that out. No reason. You see why I don't care for this episode? It's not that offensive, not really. It's just really poorly thought out at almost every level. It is kind of average, kind of forgettable, and kind of boring. Like me, for example. And that's why it's skippable. <clears throat> so she senses Moida. Oh my gosh. What do we do? There must be murder here. There must be murder. Of if can't well let's see, it can't be Spock, McCoy, or Kirk. And it's not from her, and there's only one other person at the table. Huh. And she sees an image of Kolos whenever she thinks about the murder. Huh. This then leads to Larry's big confrontation with her. Unfortunately, the guy who plays Larry is not a good actor, so this scene doesn't carry any of the weight it should. Instead, he comes across as, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as I possibly can, a teenager who's just been dumped by his first crush. And when I say dumped, to be clear, they were never dating, but he certainly thought they were. The man flat-out kisses her. Against her will, I feel like pointing out, and she makes it clear she has never felt anything for him. That is so many levels of unacceptable. And he, this is someone who is clearly a diseased mind, which brings me to my point. This guy, who is overwhelmed with jealousy, who is ridiculous to the point of being possessive of her as if she is his property, and every time she brings up what she's going for, and, you know, how much she's just trying to let him down gently and be honest with him and over and she's never tried to lead him on and all this fun stuff, he just keeps saying, oh, you're just, you're just a skank is basically what he says. You should let yourself be a woman every now and again. You should see what a man can invoke within you and, and all this fun, horrible, terrible, awful dialogue. I hate, hate this dialogue. And then he goes to murder an ambassador. Let me say that again in case I, I didn't really get across the gravitas of this. He goes to murder Kolos in cold blood. Premeditated, I feel like pointing out. Yeah, um, there are, what is with Starfleet, or I guess the Federation, and the Starfleet personnel, who are these big, respected people, who are cuckoo for cuckoo puffs? We had Daystrom, we had Captain Tracy, we had Captain Decker, uh, we had Commodore Stalker, if you want to call him. I, I could come up with more if I want, and we've been seeing this as we go through this. There's the obstinate bureaucrat, and then there's these guys who are just plain loony. What does he think was going to happen here? I've murdered the person that is keeping you from me, so now you will be mine. That's probably exactly what was going through his not-brain at that point in time. Was he thinking, I'm going to get away with killing someone on a Federation starship? I mean, I know Starfleet Security's crap, but what's the end game here? Where exactly does he think this is going? Of course he isn't. Why would someone who is known for being a venerable starship engineer have any capacity to think more than one step in front of him? That's insanity. So he sees Kolos and goes insane. And then he loses it as a direct consequence. Notice she never brings up her career as a reason for why she's turning him down. That actually irritated me just a little bit. Because that's the impression I always got. She is doing this because it's her career path. This is what she wants to do long term. And yet she keeps saying, no, I'm with Kolos. 
as if it's the romantic angle. And given later parts in the episode, it probably actually is the romantic angle, which is just kind of... what? Oh no, I'm, I'm not saying that it's weird for her to be romantically connected to a blob that will turn her insane if she were actually to be able to see it. No, I mean, why isn't the career angle a thing here? Anyways, so he rushes off. And I had a whole night. Check this out. This is the one and only time this episode impressed me. I had a whole note here about how she's also an idiot because the moment she realized that he was the one who was feeling the murder, she should have called for security. And then the moment she sensed he was doing something with Kolos, is it Kolos? Whatever. She should have also called for security. Shortly thereafter, Kirk and security show up in response to her call. They just didn't show the call. Credit episode. You got me on that one. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Nice. Also, there's a long hallway shot, so they could have done that scene back in the Paradise episode where Kirk decided to go through the inner light. Anyway, so then they had a fight. It's actually a decent fight, but it's really stupid because Crazy Man manages to effortlessly defeat three guys at the same time. <sighs> sure. This then leads to the threat. The engineering, of course, controls the ship, and there's no way to undo it, because of course there isn't. And he's apparently super fast in using it. Like, I, I don't even know how he managed to make the ship go super fast, but then again, they never really say they go past Warp 9, so maybe that's all it is. And so they zoom out, and now they're who knows where. Question. Where are they? I looked it up, and there's no references in the script to where they actually are. They make references to the Galactic Barrier because they were trying to save budget. Remember, budget was extremely minute in this show at this point in time. So they could, re they could reuse the footage from when they entered the barrier from all the way back in the first season. And there you go. That's why the barrier is a part of it. In short, in both author intent and in lore, I have no idea where they are. I know what you're going to say. Well, they're outside the galaxy. No, they're not. If they were, they could just turn around and come right back. Ignoring the basic logic of how easy it would be to do that, because the galaxy's right there, you can see it. The barrier's right there, you can see it. But no, ignoring that basic logic, there's also the fact that they've already done that. I don't remember the name of the episode. The Andromedans, right? The Kelvins? We will leave the galaxy. Oh, we can go back. Well, then we will go back. So this is... <laughs> I don't understand why this is a dilemma. The closest headcanon I have ever come up with is that they basically dimension hopped, kind of like what ends up happening in uh, Where No One Has Gone Before over in TNG. But the problem is nothing really supports that other than the fact that maybe they hit the barrier at a wrong angle and got dimension shifted, and thus they have to dimension shift back by hitting the other dimension's barrier at a different angle. You see, the problem with the dimension idea is that doesn't explain why they need someone with super-dimensional knowledge, like the Medusans, in order to get them back. So I got nothing on this, to be completely blunt. So I don't know why they're in danger, but I do know that it's very plot-convenient, because it means they have to have someone who can pilot the ship, and who can mind-meld with the Medusan. Okay, so we've, we've established our dilemma, because this is a dilemma episode. It's not a threat. It's not a thinker. It's not a theme episode. It's just a... Here's the obstacle we must overcome, and then we will overcome this particular dilemma. And the dilemma, of course, here being we have to balance Spock versus the person he has the great rivalry with, right? Now, you're probably thinking, well, this sounds more like a threat. 
Hear me out, okay? I'm going to keep making my argument for why this is a dilemma episode, but let's move forward a bit. So they go down to engineering, and the guy freaks out when Kirk you know, tries to sedate him, so Kirk decides not to sedate him. Why? No, the answer is so that he can have an aneurysm about a minute later and then die. I'm guessing it's an aneurysm. They never actually say. <laughs> so good thing we didn't sedate him. Whew. I mean, he was an attempted murderer, so he kind of probably deserved to die. But, you know, whatever. Anyways. So then, so here's where I complain in my notes about how stuck they are. There's actually this nice little bit, and it's also terrible. They need to have Spock mind meld with uh, Kolos. Okay, sure. Miranda will never see that. She'll never accept that. I don't believe that. So instead of trying to reason with her or explain things to her or logically go through this or basically do the confrontation that actually does happen in the very next scene, Kirk decides to try and seduce her for several hours. <sighs> Badly, I feel like pointing out. He does a really, really bad job of seducing her. I'm pretty sure I could do better than that, and I am out of practice by about 15 years at this point. I'm still pretty sure I could do a better job than Kirk does here. <sighs> uh, let me, let me, a little tip, by the way, if you're wondering how to do it. It's very simple. Treat them like a human being. Anyways, we do get one good thing out of this scene. She mentions why she doesn't like romantic relationships. This is also partially why it's clear that she does have a romantic connection to Kolos, and why she is the continuation of the jealousy chain. Larry was jealous of her with Kolos. She is jealous with Spock with Kolos. So that's, that's cute, that little lineup there. Either way, whoa, mouse freak out. There we go. Come on, mice, work with me. The idea actually has some merit, and I like it. And I like that. There you go. Just, just to make fun of myself for a second there. She's someone who is so empathic that she cannot help but feel the emotions of people she's very close to. Imagine a relationship for a second. Now imagine if you feel everything they feel. That would be overwhelming. Especially if they don't feel it back. This is, it's, it's, it's even stated earlier that one of the reasons she went to the Vulcans for training was so she could block some of this crap out. But when you're that close to someone, it's a lot harder to block out, isn't it? So you've got just this noise that's screaming at you all the time. And unless you're in a very healthy relationship, that's a problem. I still think it could work, but that, that's a gamble at that point. I don't even blame her for deciding to just walk away from that and just be like, nope, oh, I'm not dealing with that. And this then helps to explain why it is that she is leaning towards Kolos, which is why the romantic angle kind of comes into that. Either way, she finds out, what a shock, and decides to rush off and be like, no, I must stop you. And can I just say really quick, I mentioned Kirk is really bad at seducing her. He flat out says, you're young and beautiful and beauty, 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 beauty. You should be with someone who you love. Love is super important. You should... You should find a man, not someone who's ugly. And then she, rather logically, gets pissed at the idea that he just called the Medusans ugly. For all the things you could call the Medusans, ugly is not actually a word I would apply there. 
Ugly is a dirty word, and I try to only apply that very specifically and carefully. Now, I'm going to forgive this because the episode does something good with that word later on, and so they need to establish that word early, but this is a total misappropriation of it. Misappropriate, that's the wrong word. Speaking of wrong words, that is a uh, misapplication. There we go, a little word. So she goes down and she's convinced by Colos that, okay, this has to happen. His name is Colos, right? I keep questioning myself now. Like, the further I go into this rumination, I'm like, that was his name, right? Right? Oh my god, the summary doesn't actually mention his name. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I just watched this episode, I swear. It was hard to maintain a thread of logic. I'll be completely honest with you, because there's just not... Anyways, next point I have is at 31 minutes and 30 seconds, the, the, the threat is solved. They have the merger, everything goes fine, and they warp back. Okay, cool. It is Colos. It is Colos, I found it. Thank you, Nitpicker's Guide. <laughs> Good book, by the way. I do recommend this, just, just for fun, basically. I know uh, nitpicking is seen as a negative thing, but this is nitpicking done from a lighthearted tone, if that makes any sense. Like, it's not done to be like, Star Trek sucks! It's more like, <laughs> and that's the difference in tone. That's why I recommend this one. Anyways, I also recommend the TNG one and the other TNG one. I haven't read the DS9 one. So the dilemma's solved, right? No. See, this is the problem. The, the the dilemma hasn't actually come up yet. <laughs> the threat has. The threat is them getting lost out. It's the threat of the week, basically. So it's like, how do we get back? Well, they okay, then they get back. Okay. And that's it. That's pretty much the end of that. We have some good scenes with Spock, Nimoy, rather, playing as Kolos. And we have some good, you know, a few good character moments. I do have to question, why can't she pilot the ship? She has this super sensor web, right? And she mentions that she can sense things other than, you know, just people. She can tell heart rate, she directly mentions that, and exact distance to something. Why can't she use a control panel if she's taught how to pilot a ship? They're not really in a hurry here. They've got time. Whatever. The reason, the real reason, of course, is so that Spock can be the one to merge. Which is, of course, what she hates. Jealousy. This is when the dilemma is actually revealed. It's a good dilemma, too. It's just, it's stupid in its execution, because Spock forgets to put on his visor, right? I'm sorry, I should put the quotes in there. Forgets to put on his visor. Now, the reason I say it's stupid in its construction is because the episode never lays it out, but I'd like to go ahead and give this episode some credit. It's not a good script, but I want to give it this bit of credit, because I think this is on purpose. Spock who is a genius, and Kolos, who is a very smart person and knows the threats of his existence, would not forget to put on the visor. There's no reason for that visor. It's not like he could just make a mistake. Not like we do. So you're probably thinking, oh, you're just being too harsh on it. No. No, I am giving it credit. I think she did put that into him. I think she used her empathic abilities to convince him to not put on the visor in a moment of jealousy and ugliness. And unlike Mr. Larry earlier, she would get away with it. Eh? You see? This is then why... This is the, the dilemma. Because the dilemma is, there is one person on this ship who can save Spock. But we can't force her to because she's the one who killed him. 
Brilliant, isn't it? It's a shame. I really wish more was actually done about this point rather than the, the pointless, you know, risk to the ship thing. Because this is brilliant. She, she Her acting isn't perfect, but she does a good job with the following scene where Kirk just rushes in and she's acting blind, does a good job of that. She does a good job of that. And he confronts her with that truth. And he does state it is a truth. Now, we don't know her total certainty, but I'm willing to believe she really did put that suggestion into him. And she really is that ugly. Actually deserving of that word. Being the kind of person who is willing to risk, nay, deliberately wish such horrific harm upon another person just because they have something that you don't and you want. That's messed up. That is ugly right there. That is an appropriate usage of that word. And that's why I'm willing to forgive that earlier tidbit. Because this reveal in this climax shows how unpleasant her heart, her soul, whatever you want to call that, really has become. In a similar vein to the last character she played, however, she is neither an evil person nor a good one. She's someone in the middle. She's a normal person. And a normal person, when confronted with those kind of acts, even if they deliberately did them, is, quite logically, disgusted by them. That's why she reacts so viciously. She hates the idea of being confronted with this horrible crime she has committed. Kirk runs out of the room and says, I, I don't know if I should have done that. I may have just cost Spock his life. I don't know if she was ready to hear the truth. And then it cuts to her listening. And you could just see it going on in her mind as she's like, I do have the power to undo this. I have the power to fix what I did. And having stared at what she did, she can now process it, move through it, and realize what she actually wants to do. Because she doesn't want Spock to die. Not really. She's not evil. Moments of weakness and in the moment. I've talked about that concept many times. It's, it's a very unpleasant place to be. And clearly with her thoughts and mind fully organized, she looks at that with disgust, which is why she then reaches into him and tries to bring him out of the coma to save Spock's life. You'll notice that they then end on a positive note. And no wah-wah this week. Instead, you could see this just the general mutual respect. And it's actually really good. You see, it's it's kind of funny because... You're probably thinking, Laura, you're talking really positively about an episode you said right at the beginning is in a skip list. Yeah, because all of this is in the last ten minutes of the episode. The first forty minutes, if I just chopped it out, I wouldn't feel like I'm missing anything, except for some basic buildup. I could maybe just strategically edit it to get rid of maybe, excuse me, to get rid of all but maybe three scenes, which then build up to the finale, and I don't feel like anything would be lost in the process. That's why it's on the skip list. And I wanted to state that too. Some people think the skip list is a measure of quality, and certainly in many ways it is, but those are separate lists. I still think this is a better-than-average episode, but I will probably never watch it again because those last ten minutes are simply not worth going through the rest of it. What do you think? Really curious of your guys' thoughts on this one especially. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I do hope you've enjoyed and I will see you guys. <laughs>